Welcome to In the Vein, a podcast by students at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. My name is Molly Murphy. I'm a member of the class of 2025, and this is a segment called The Inside Scope, where I interview current students about their academic experiences in the hopes of providing tips, tricks, and general advice to the next class. So I'm here today with some MS1s to discuss their experience and kind of pass advice on to the incoming class of med students. I remember when I was coming into med school, um, I was just telling Melanie this, that I felt like it was just kind of this big black box where I had no idea what to expect or what it was really going to be like. I'd heard so many stories, heard people compare it to drinking from a fire hose, which is just a terrifying metaphor. And so hopefully today um, we'll kind of help break down some of those myths, maybe help bring to light some like really helpful advice going into the year and calm everyone's nerves. So that's kind of the goal here. Melanie, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on here today. I too was very overwhelmed when I started medical school. So just a little bit about kind of like my journey to medical school and my background. I grew up and have lived my whole life here in Colorado. And I went to the University of Denver and I studied molecular biology and then realized right before I graduated that I had been kind of (laughs) dreaming of going into medicine, but I really didn't know what that actually meant. Um, I'm a first generation medical student, so I don't know anyone that's been through this personally. And I thought, this is a big commitment. Let's make sure that this is what I want. And so I spent the next three years working in research and patient navigation at Denver Health and realized that, you know, this definitely is what I wanted before coming here to see you. I spent a lot of my time in the pediatric ED at Denver Health. And so I did see like students in passing, but I really don't think I grasped what that meant. I think someone would tell me they were a medical student or a resident. And I just thought, wow, I want to be you and ask no further questions about their experience, which looking back, I I kind of wish I had. No, that's okay. I think that actually completely validates what I was saying before, that it's hard to know what you don't know. Med school, it's really tough. I mean, unless even if your parent went through it, odds are your experience is going to be wildly different from theirs just because of the passage of time and the way things change. And so really, unless you are very close to someone who recently went through it themselves. It can be a very daunting and kind of mysterious experience. And and I would even say, too, that every med school is so different. I have friends who go to different med schools across the country, and we always, whenever we're together, we like to compare and contrast our experiences, and no two med schools are, are alike in scheduling even. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's actually something I talk about a lot. I mean, I don't know that this is true for everyone, but my first year of med school is way, way harder than all of undergrad combined. So it's funny that you get that kind of, you get that support and you get that heads up of, oh, hey, college is hard. But when it comes to med school, it definitely feels like you're kind of just thrown into the deep end. And like you said, that's regardless of family experience or personal experience. Yes, exactly. So we will launch into all kinds of um, questions. And I want to hear your perspective on the first year of med school, which for those listening, this will be the first vocab word you learn because goodness knows um, medical school is full of acronyms and just a whole new vocabulary. But MS1, hopefully everyone's familiar with that phrase. Every year of med school is um, you know MS1, MS2, MS3, MS4. So we will launch into your experience as an MS1 academically and like study tips and all of those things. But actually, let's kind of jump right in. Um, Melanie, I'd love to to hear 
your perspective on boundary keeping and managing your personal life during med school because I think everyone's personal lives looks different especially I remember when my class matriculated we had an age range from 21 to 38 some of my classmates were married and had kids and had full-blown careers before this some people had just graduated college so it's a very wide range however Everyone probably struggles with the same issue of how do you learn how to balance it and how do you get good at that without like failing your personal life so that you can survive your med school life. And yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I'm so glad we're starting here because I think for me, there's not been a single part of medical school that has come easier naturally to me, but this part has been the hardest for sure. I am married. I got married six months before starting medical school. I live here in Aurora with my husband and our, our dogs. And I honestly don't know how people do it without the support of like a really close friend or a partner. Because for those first few months, I really, I thought I was drowning and I was never going to catch my breath. And I was very fortunate that my partner just took over everything. Like he cooked, he kept our space clean, he took care of our pets, he took care of like finances and issues with that. And it wasn't until I think about six months into my first year that we really both kind of had a, a, a moment of we need to talk about, is this sustainable for both of us? You know, am I able to continue to just give 150% at school and 0% everywhere else? And are you capable of continuing to support me at such an extreme capacity? And I think that was a really good conversation to have, and I wish we had had it sooner. Um, so I think my advice to any incoming students with a really close relationship, whether that be romantic or a, a really close roommate or parents or siblings that are really wanting to support you through this time is talking about what that looks like, not only as what you need from that person, but also in how that's going to evolve. Because as I got more used to my schedule and my study habits got better and I got more efficient at studying, I was able to start contributing back more into my home life and into my personal life. But I, it really required a lot of patience on his part um, to be able to support me through that. And then the second thing I want to say, sorry for that long-winded initial answer, is that I'm very fortunate that both my family and my partner's family live really close to us here in Colorado. And I've always thought of that as a huge blessing and a huge strength that we have such a large support system, but it's also difficult in that I really wanted to still spend as much time with my family as I did previously. Um, and I think people can think of medical school almost like a work week. And so for me, going from a 40-hour work week to an 80 to 100-hour work week, that was a big transition for my family. And it, it took a long time to figure out how to balance, you know, the important events that I still wanted to go to, like birthday parties and, and weddings and um, being there for family members when they were going through tough times, um, while also still kind of protecting the time that I had and making sure that my cup wasn't completely drained and completely empty prior to deciding, you know, how I could best participate in my family's lives during this time. Yeah, you bring up so many good points. Um, and I thought of a few things while you were talking. First of all, yes, you're completely right. I don't think that there is one great way to prepare for this transition in a lot of ways. I do think you just get thrown into the deep end and that's kind of the only way you can do it. But I like really like the idea of sitting down and having a conversation with the people who are most vital in your life and who are probably going to play a very large role in supporting you and setting expectations and like setting regular check-ins. I think that's really great. I remember when I started MS1, we had a panel of older med students and there was one that was specifically on 
managing relationships while in med school. And a lot of people said that essentially you have to be in a relationship where the other person knows and is willing to give a lot more than you can give them. And I think that's a really hard ask. I also um, want to touch back on the metaphor I used in the beginning. You know, people say med school can feel like, drink, especially that first year, drinking water from a fire hose. And I actually had a friend whose med school advisor had said to him that he actually really didn't like that metaphor and that he preferred the metaphor of it's like a really, really long swim from a boat to an island and that there are going to be some days where you are all out giving it everything you've got, slamming ahead. And there are going to be other days where you're doggy paddling and there are going to be some days where you're just floating. And I kind of love that metaphor because, and I think it can be applied to relationships as well, because I think, yes, your partner or your family or your friends are going to have to swallow the really hard pill of your life is not going to be the same anymore. You're not going to be available, but at the same time, I actually think it's good practice for the rest of your career. Um, Like I had an attending, she was a mother and an attending surgeon, and she felt like for the longest time she was doing both job poorly. Um, And so she decided that there were going to be days where she was going to be just a rock star at work. But then there were going to be days where she completely would put work behind her and be all mom 100%. That was her way of getting through it. And I kind of like that, that idea that like there, there are going to be, especially the week leading up to an end of course exam, like you are not going to be able to give much to the people around you and you're probably going to need a lot from them. But then there are other weeks where you will be able to turn back around and show your gratitude. And, you know, it's not that you become a shell of a human being 24-7. So I really, I liked that about the way you mentioned that when you got your footing and that kind of thing, like it doesn't, it doesn't last forever and you, you get so right. much better at it. It feels really daunting in the beginning, but you get so much better at, at it as time goes on. And Yeah, I like that too. I know that you get the fire hose analogy forever. Um, yeah. For me, I, I always say that starting med school felt like I had been Michael Phelps my whole life and all of a sudden I was thrown in a pool and I didn't know how to swim anymore. <laughs> and That's good. I, I just had this feeling of like, I thought I was good at school. I thought I was a good student, a good studier. <laughs> and I don't have my footing at all. Like that, I have no idea what I'm doing. I feel like a fish out of water. That is imposter syndrome in a nutshell. Yeah. The idea of, of guilt and shame is such a prevalent part of medical school and medical training that we don't talk about enough. Yes. And that no matter what you're giving 100% to, you always feel like you're not giving enough to everything. Um, so I think that story of, you know, the, the working physician mother rings true for, for so many physicians today. And For so many medical students, like you had mentioned, a lot of students at CU are currently have families or are planning on having families. And for me, I really just had to come to terms with that. I'm never going to be enough for my my own standards and my own expectations. And I needed to reframe those um, or I was going to be constantly living with that shame. So really separating shame and guilt from your experience, I think, is a really important part of learning how to be a medical student. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I love that you just said that because... It's so poignant and true and that just resonated so much with me, but I don't even think it's something I've acknowledged out loud because you're right. No one talks about that. Yeah. You were Michael Phelps who got thrown into a swimming pool of a bunch of other Michael Phelps and you know, it's (laughs) the imposter syndrome is such a real thing. Um, And I think it does just get kind of accepted as this like natural part of medicine, but it feels so unnatural and, and then you feel so alone in it, even though everyone's going through it. 
Um, actually, right. really quick before we move on to imposter syndrome, because there was one more plug I wanted to make, to the note of having a personal life in med school, um, a plug for CU, I think they absolutely knocked it out of the park with the end of week quizzes um, and having yeah. tests on Fridays. None of my friends at other med schools have that, and I just want to like kind of explain that to the incoming first years. I think it's so unique. Um, but essentially... CU teaches first years based off of an organ block system. So you learn the pharmacology, the anatomy, the pathophysiology, the normal physiology, everything involving one organ system. So let's take GI, for example. In that five-week course, every Friday you have an end-of-week quiz over the week's material. So it really forces you to stay on top of your studying so you don't get behind. But what I really like about it is it's you just have to average i think what melanie like above a 50 60% in the yeah, four yeah 50% yeah so it's i mean it's hard like that's the craziest part is that in med school right? it's like actually really hard like you kind of have to give it full effort to to pass but essentially it gives you this wiggle room of a, it forces you to stay on top of things. B, you get to gauge where you're at with the week's material. But C, my favorite part about it is that you actually feel like you earned your weekend off. And yes, you do have to put in some work to prepare for the next week. But for the most part, if you did decently on the end of week quiz and you don't have a ton of catch up work to do, you can have a full Saturday, depending on the kind of studier you are. But I, most people I knew had chunks of time on the weekend to spend doing other things besides med school and I love that and I think that's such yeah. a gift that CU's given us like we never have and the end of course exam the one that actually counts for something is also on a Friday it's on that last Friday of the course and I just think just this idea of like Friday testing is so helpful because it really does make your weekends feel freer and I have friends at other schools who will have exams once in a blue moon and they'll happen on a Monday or a Tuesday and it just is so brutal. And I really yeah. appreciate that, that CU does that. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, the biggest thing you can do for yourself is to celebrate every single week. So like I had an Excel sheet that like I got to tick off every week that I got through and every Friday after the end of week exam, I would, you know, do something for myself. Like I would go for a really long walk or I would go get a boba tea or go plant shopping, like just something to celebrate doing one more week. Because I think that's what really drove me to continue towards that delayed gratification was that, you know, that <laughs> intermittent celebration of doing one more thing, getting closer to that goal. Yeah, I love that. That's another big one. Celebrate all the little wins. Every step of this process is such an accomplishment. And because it's such a long, drawn-out process, it doesn't feel like it. Right. It just feels like one more thing you did and, you know, one more box you checked. But you're so right. It should be celebrated. That's a good piece of advice. And looking back, like, I feel very prepared for my next year. And I feel very confident in, like, the abilities and the things that they wanted me to learn this year. And so as hard as it can be to do and let yourself be frustrated for sure, but there is definitely good in trusting the process as you go. Yes, I agree. Also, your class's meme page um, is a great way to blow off steam <laughs> if you are I frustrated. <laughs> um, okay, well, moving now on to imposter syndrome. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic. And what I really like about our curriculum is that they, they actually build in a time to talk about it with your classmates. What I'm hoping they might change for next year, though, is, is they build it in really upfront. So early on in the curriculum, you talk about it. And I actually think I had a lot more imposter syndrome as I progressed. There's definitely that initial wave of like, 
I have no idea what I'm doing and this is too much and why am I here and why did I pick this and I can't do this. But you're all very much in the same boat <laughs> in that first week. But as I progress through the year and, and you get more exposure to different topics and different lecture styles and you meet more of your classmate, I think it gets more and more daunting. So I like that we talk about it. I, I do hope it becomes like a continued discussion. That was my experience. My first time feeling imposter syndrome, that being said, was actually on um, my interview day. We like went around the Zoom room introducing ourselves. And the person who introduced themselves before me was a trained pilot who took inner city kids flying on the weekends to teach them how to fly planes. And the person after me had just won a Grammy. And um, oh my God. Sandwiched in between these two unbelievably impressive people and thinking, like, well, there goes my shot. Like, I'm, I'm not getting into medical school. But that never ends. Like, every time I, I talk with any of my classmates, I'm blown away by what they, they've accomplished, what they've done, what they've experienced, what they're doing with their preceptors. Um, I think there's just, yeah, there's endless opportunities to feel inadequate in medical school. <laughs> That's, I really like the way you put that, too, because you phrased it in a way that there's a sense of control. Because you're right. It's a fact, like you're surrounded by impressive people, but it's also a fact that they're surrounded by you and they're probably thinking exactly. the same thing. The two ways, best ways to fight imposter syndrome is A, reinforcing to yourself the fact that everyone in the room is probably freaking out as much as you are right now and as yep. threatened by you or as impressed by you as you are by them. And the second thing too, and this is the really big one that I really hope continues to change is just like this idea of being so honest about our failures and our setbacks. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. And I think our class was pretty good about that. Like people, people would post memes sometimes <laughs> even about failing the neuro exam. And there's just so much camaraderie in that joint failure because God knows we're all going to go through it at some point. But when you do, you feel so alone in it. And I think that that's a really cool way to kind of combat that imposter syndrome that just tends to fester in a class full of high achieving people, which is every yeah. med school class. Right. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel like I got very used to the feeling of imposter syndrome throughout pre-med. And it was totally made worse by the fact that no one was willing to admit when they didn't do well on exams. Right. Or when they were scared of the MCAT or scared of not getting into medical school, there was such a competitive nature to it. And my favorite thing about CU and my experience in medical school is that everyone is there for each other. And if anything, you'll notice your mindset shift from, I can't believe I'm competing against these people for a position to, I'm so grateful. I'm surrounded by such amazing people that will support me where I am weak. I am surrounded by a ton of people who are so impressive. And I'm so glad that that's the team I get to work with. I completely agree. And I think that that was a tone set by CU from day one. I remember in our orientation speeches from all the deans, and I remember them saying, if you aren't the kind of person who thrives in a collaborative and like kind and warm and welcoming environment, then this probably isn't the place for you. Yeah. If you were yeah. thinking med school is going to be this cutthroat war zone, this isn't it. 
And I do right. think that starts at the top level and they've done a great job of that. And, and another pop- shout out for the memes page. Uh, <laughs> exactly. feel a lot better about a lot of things. <laughs> exactly. And I do think too, the pass fail nature, and this is true of a lot of med schools, you have to work your butt off to pass. It is really the whole concept of passing and failing, this pre-existing notion that you have in your head of what passing and failing means yeah. outside of the world of med school. It's just shattered once you get to med school. You know, in reality, all that matters is that we're we're all going to leave here in four years with the information and the skill set to be good doctors and to be successful in residency. And I really like that that's kind of how their pass fail set up. You know, if you, if you fail an end of course exam, you can retake it. And yes, it's embarrassing. Yes. It's the last thing you want to do, but you can retake it. And, and there aren't like these massive consequences to that. Obviously don't go around. If you, go around failing a bunch of exams, then you're probably going to have to have a meeting with somebody. But there's wiggle room and like there's room to fail and for it to not destroy your career or your like track. Let's see, should we launch into kind of like study tips? I know you said that your studying has evolved. That's another thing that I was so stubborn about at the start of med school was that I loved the way I studied in high school and in college. Like I loved, I loved school. I loved everything about it. And I got to med school and I remember um, uh, Deb Seymour gave us a talk about how, you know, everything you thought you knew about studying, leave it at the door. And I was just like, nope, I can't do that. <laughs> I got I to gotta stick to my ways. And I learned the hard way that <laughs> it was not sustainable and I had to adapt. And so I'm very curious to hear how your study habits adapted over the year and what you wish you had done or known in the beginning. Yeah, well, first of all, plug for Deb Seymour. Love her. Um, spent, spent quite some time crying in her office. She's fantastic. Um, <laughs> All of our deans, I think, are really great. I've had a lot of really wonderful discussions with all of them. Yeah. But um, in response, I had I had kind of the opposite experience with studying. So I'm a very inefficient studier. Um, and throughout the year, I've learned that I really cannot retain information unless I write it down, um, <laughs> which is a hugely unpopular and honestly not something I would advise kind of study style to future students. But I think there's an important lesson there. So when I came in and started medical school, I took every single piece of advice that we got. Like every single person was like, you need to use Anki. And then the next person would say, absolutely don't use Anki. You need to go through learning objectives. And then the next person would say, well, learning objectives didn't work for me. You should only do practice questions. Um, And honestly, that led to just so much distress and so much confusion and heartache and feeling like I was never going to be able to catch up on anything. So my first week of medical school, I just kind of sat with my mouth open, trying not to cry during lectures. Like I was just so overwhelmed by the fact that like an entire course I had taken in undergrad could be three slides in a single lecture. Like it's just a different level of volume of content, complexity of content, and the ways that the content is tested, it's all completely different. And so I would come home and I would try to do some Anki, make some Anki cards. Um, I would try to fill out LOs and I would just got more and more frustrated and I wasn't retaining the information. And so I ended up kind of adapting my old study habits. My old study habits were rewriting notes and then um, kind of just reading my notes before the test. So the, the way that I ended up 
that worked best for me was during lecture, I would jot down notes um, and I would start my notes. And then at night, I would get through as many lectures as I could, writing down notes, jotting down um, really key concepts. And then for the end of course, I would make flashcards um, and just review them one time just so I could see all of the content again. It took me a, a really long time to study every week, but I can remember that first week up here told me, they were like, you're not going to be able to do that. I guarantee it. You're going to get so overwhelmed. And it just devastated me because I was like, it's the only thing I'm comfortable doing. And it's the only way I've actually started to retain any information is writing out my notes like I used to. And that being said, I, I ended up doing it all year and, you know, was, was fairly successful. I'm happy with my performance. I'm not, I'm not going to say I was, you know, pre-med Melanie would be stoked with my performance, but I'm very happy with how I did. And I feel like I really did retain the information and, you know, have these notes as resources to go back to when I want to. So um, I guess, you know, very long story short, be very receptive to advice because I think almost all of my peers changed their study habits completely and it worked really well for them. But for me, it, it didn't end up working that way. And I just really had to kind of adapt what I had done previously and make some minor changes to it and um, trust myself and, and trust my brain to, to do what it's done in the past. And so take everything with a grain of salt, but definitely be willing to try out things that are outside of your comfort zone. Okay, this was phenomenal and really funny because that was the opposite experience for me. I think we both arrived at a similar point, which is really funny, but I think two very different paths. I was always a huge physical note taker. I had to write yep. things down and I had to write them down in my own words and organize the information in my own way in order to remember it. And if I did that, I was really good at remembering it, but I am horrible at rote memorization. So in the beginning of right. med school, when everyone was talking about Anki, this flashcard deck, which also this is kind of a intro to like tools in med school that everyone is going to mention and use and that kind of thing. When people talked about Anki, which is this very almost like archaic, like Steve Jobs in a garage kind of computer yeah. system, flashcard <laughs> system. It's, it's awesome. I love that about it, that there's nothing fancy about it. But a lot of people use Anki and I knew that that was just not for me. I'm like, I've never been a flashcard person. I am horrible at rote memorization. I need to see everything and how it's connected on a piece of paper and not yes. just in like a couple of words on a flashcard. And so I fought that for a very long time. Kind of like you mentioned, it was just, it was overwhelming to try to do it exactly the way I wanted to do it. There were no textbooks, which I like love textbooks in, in um, yeah. undergrad. So um, if you're a textbook fan, um, I hate to break it to you, but textbooks are not as much of a thing in the med school world anymore. I struggled a lot because I think first year is a lot about memorization. Um, so that being said, I think Anki is a great tool because it is very favorable to memorization. If that's not your style of learning, that's okay. There is no one right way to do this. And I think that is so vital because you get to med school and it is so overwhelming. Everyone has an opinion. There are a thousand different resources out there. And sadly, none of them are comprehensive enough to only rely on the one. <laughs> like you can't right. just do AMBOSS, which also to anyone listening who doesn't know what AMBOSS is, I think AMBOSS was amazing and I wish I had downloaded it sooner. It's like the Wikipedia for med school. It's just a huge resource for just understanding concepts if you're if the lecturer doesn't go into detail about something. And they also have right. um, question banks, which again, I think are helpful. 
I also sought out classmates who had similar, but then also different learning styles. One of my closest friends, she loved writing things out too, but she knew she couldn't do that. Um, and so she and I worked on like ways we could still write things out on a whiteboard after class. We'd go to a study yeah. room and stay at the school till like 10 o'clock at night while our other friend made Quizlet decks um, for the things that were just rote memorization. And that's the other thing I want to say is, okay, two things. Everyone has a different tactic and everyone finds success in, in different ways. And there's a lot of pressure to just be the onky bro in the front of the room, make, right. just yes. smashing the space bar. <laughs> for some people, that's great. It's so successful. That wasn't it for me. I, I That's not right. how I learn. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you will be unsuccessful if you try to force a square peg into a round hole or whatever the expression yes. is um, and the, the truth is that it only has to work for you you know what skills have have gotten you to medical school and that might be you know the study skills you've used in the past or it might just be your resiliency and your adaptability and you just have to trust those and know that you you've made it here and your brain can do it so yeah, you just it just has to work for you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Of what other people say. And the other thing too is that and you kind of brought this up as well, but learning for me was always an individual sport. And yes. yes, I would go to the library with friends or I would, you know, study with classmates, but I relied on me, myself and I, and I would be doing things in parallel, but I would always be doing my own thing. And Med school is a team sport. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be, in my opinion. My life became so much more manageable when I realized that if I tag team studying with a small group of friends, we would all benefit and none of us would have to put in nearly the same amount of work if we had been on our own. And I think that that's, that was huge for me and a lot of people I know. And I think that speaks to the greater nature of the career of medicine is it is a collaborative career and it is not for the like lone wolf that was a huge realization for me um so <laughs> my study advice is to make friends in med school <laughs> because yes. it'll help <laughs> I couldn't agree more I was very fortunate to befriend in anatomy whiz and she is oh. the sole reason I got through anatomy the way that I did and, and I think that brings up the important point that like the way that you study for different blocks and the way that you study for different aspects of the curriculum is going to look different, right? Like I didn't right. rewrite anatomy notes because we would get hundreds and hundreds of slides, but that's not the way I needed to learn the information, right? Like right. I needed to be in lab, working with the team, working with my friends, walking through things, drawing things out on the whiteboard, doing practice practicals, and like for clinical skills, like I needed to be practicing physical exam, whether that be with speedas or with friends. That just needed to be, there's just different ways you have to study and you'll learn that. So just give yourself the grace to learn it and to fail as you go. Yes. Be ready for this idea that you were going to walk into med school with some preconceived notions of how you're going to study. And some of those are probably going to fail you. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you failed. That means that you're going through the learning process that everyone around you is too. And you just kind of have to lean into it and keep trying. Right. Exactly. The other plug I wanted to make is for knowledge base. It was such a huge resource for me in my first year that I ended up actually applying to run it this past year. But for those um, incoming first years, knowledge base is essentially a review session before every end of course exam that's put on by the second, third, and fourth year med students who've been in your shoes and who know all of the things that 
are important and all of the things that are probably going to be emphasized. It's like a two, three hour review session the week leading up to the each end of course exam. And it's just a huge resource and an awesome review, especially if you are kind of in a cram mode. It's a great way to review a lot of important information. Knowledge base is really helpful for also getting a grasp of like, how is this information tested on boards? Yes, it's kind of an investment in future you as well in attending right. knowledge base. And I'm a big fan of peer-to-peer teaching in like med school yeah. and in residency because truly it's really hard for an attending or a professor to turn around and try to remember what it was like to be a first-year med student and how to explain heart failure in a way that's digestible. And I think right. that's very challenging and I commend those who are good at it because I think it is a really impressive skill. But I think odds are the people who are probably going to be best at explaining it are the ones who recently grasped it. That's also very telling during knowledge-based sessions. It's funny how many times we've seen messages from students saying, oh my God, I never ever understood this. I poured hours over these lecture slides and it didn't make sense until tonight. And it's just, it's funny because I think sometimes we we know how to make it click in each other's brains because we're not all that far off from each other. And so I think that there's value in that. Could not agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Any other like study tips or general advice or even block specific advice that you have? One of the coolest parts about CU is that they, they ask for our feedback very frequently. Um, And I've gotten to see like our feedback make actual changes to our curriculum in real time. So I'm hoping that a lot of the, you know, common struggles and common issues that we had with certain blocks or certain aspects of the curriculum this year, a lot of them will hopefully be resolved for this, this new class. But I think, you know, each block really does present differently. And I know that, you know, the first week of each block felt impossible. And honestly, all of this first year felt impossible until it was done. So just give yourself that grace to know that like it will get easier. Your brain will adapt. And I know I've said it a million times, but like just trust yourself and trust the process that that you can get through it. And I think the more blocks that you get through, it gets much easier to do that. Along with that too, I remember being so frustrated by different lecturers' style and how frequently those are very different from one another and so it can be really hard to like adjust your approach depending on who's giving a lecture a you're completely right that you will adjust you will I like I promise you will but b seeing it almost as like a game or an opportunity to try out a new method of studying is probably the most productive way to do it so any like last thoughts you wanted to share with the ms1s melanie just in case i haven't (laughs) mentioned it enough give yourself more grace than you think you deserve um, because I'm a med student and I've met a lot of med students now and I know it's the number one skill we are worst at. Learn to trust your instincts, trust your intuition. When something doesn't feel right, you know, pursue that and also trust that even when you don't feel prepared, you're probably way more prepared than than you are. I I would also say too, because I've Reminded myself of this frequently and even very recently that some of the physicians that I admire most luckily have been very open with their own failures and their own um, setbacks. And I know many of them who are now my role models who at one point were failing a class in med school or didn't think that they were going to make it through or absolutely bombed some rotation. And so I think it's reassuring to remember that even the greats were in your shoes at one point 
and we're going through the same stuff and um, struggling too. It's how it's supposed to be. And I think that's something that I constantly have to remind myself is I am not supposed to be good at this. And I, it is supposed to be the so hard. Um, and hard to the point that I'm supposed to break every once in a while and I'm supposed to fail. And if that's not, then it's not challenging you in the ways that it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're, when you're pushed to your limits, let yourself go there. When you're moved to tears, let yourself cry, like really just feel the extremes of medical school because it, it is extreme. And I think that is the most beautiful parts of medical school thus far for me have been the parts where I'm just pushed past where I thought I could go. And I get the chance to prove that actually I could do a little bit more. I could go a little bit further. I think that's a perfect final word. Thank you so much, Melanie. It was so lovely to talk to you. And I hope that the MS1s um, glean a lot of important advice from you. I am here with Pauline, who is a, another fellow MS1. Pauline, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. So I am, I guess, initially from France, but I tend to leave that out because it, you know, invites a whole host of questions. Um, grew up <laughs> yeah. in Massachusetts, and I'm a non-traditional student, so I figured out probably halfway through undergrad that, like, being a doctor was something that, like, I actually could do. I think I ended up taking four gap years after undergrad. And so long story short, I ended up with a master's degree because I decided to pursue stuff that I am passionate about. So I have a master's in nutrition. Um, and then I ended up working two years in Durham before I finally managed to like get myself to take the MCAT and just kind of, you know, go all in. So I started med school at 28, which you know, I think once you get here, you realize that it doesn't really matter how old you are. Like my best friend in this program turned 22 in December of our first year. I definitely have a lot of advice for the people who like realize late in the game that this is what they want to do and feel like maybe they shouldn't because it's not possible. And, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think that's something that I've brought up before. The pre-med process is so stressful and there is so much built up expectation and your friends in other industries are getting jobs and starting their careers and you just feel like you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think the really cool realization for me coming to med school was knowing that my class ranged, I think, upon entering from 21 to age 38. And like people had entire careers, people had gotten other degrees, had entire jobs and all this stuff. So I, I think there's never a wrong time to start. And I also think there's never a right way to get there. Um, so that's kind of why I like hearing how everyone got to med school, because I think it helps give context to who they are and why they're here and like what drives them. We haven't really talked at all about the MSA project and about research in medical school. And I'm curious if that might be a good place to start. Just to kind of clarify too, for anyone um, who may listen to this and is unfamiliar with the phrase, MSA is mentored scholarly activity. Is that right, Pauline? Yeah. Okay. So it's essentially a research project that CU requires of all of its med students before they graduate, which is really cool in the sense that I, well, first of all, research is a pillar of medicine, and I think it's important that everyone engage in that. 
Um, even if you don't end up pursuing it throughout your career very actively, it will come up again and again, and you'll have to know how to interact with it. But the other thing too, is that it undoubtedly helps prepare you for residency applications and helps you bolster your application. Um, just having led a project, even if it's small, it can look like a bunch of different things too. Um, it doesn't just have to be lab research or clinical research. People do all kinds of projects with it and can get like very creative in terms of what qualifies as an MSA fulfilling the requirement. Considering that you are currently on your break in between first year and second year, and you had just mentioned um, that you are doing your MSA during this time, that it's kind of like a focused project, six weeks. Would you want to speak to that a little bit more? So one of my friends who is, she's actually a licensed therapist she has like a master's in counseling um her project that she wants to do is like a self-led project so it's not piggybacked on a faculty initiated project if she wants to do a scoping review well she wanted to write a book but we got talked down to doing a scoping review looking at transitional care guidelines that exist for once kiddos or adolescents get released from psychiatric long-term treatment and I've had several people get back to me and agree that like, this is a great project. There's not much literature on this, but none of them want to take us on as a mentor to help us through the process because a scoping review requires a professional, like faculty level opinion in order to really push it through. So we have one person right now who initially just put his name on it just to get us through this summer, but is just too busy to keep helping us on it long-term. So okay, we're interesting. I was so surprised coming to see you at the ease of getting involved in research that I had and that a lot of people I know had compared to undergrad. Like I think it was a lot harder for me to get research opportunities in undergrad, but there's an entire building dedicated to research and they all know that med students want to be involved and also need to be involved in research. There is usually a very long list of PIs or doctors or um, PhDs that have ongoing projects and would love a med student to help out. And all you have to do is like reach out, email them. And I've actually not heard it as much of a struggle, but I'm glad that you brought that up because it's certainly possible. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that other perspective is that it doesn't always go smoothly. But to your point as well, I think if you really have a very specific passion project in mind, it is hard to get a faculty member, I'd imagine, to totally jump on board and embrace like taking you on. And you're right that it's a lot easier to just instead jump on something they're already doing. I think by and large, the experience is more so what yours has been, where like people are so eager to have students come and help. Yeah, like I think the first person I emailed responded to me and was immediately like, yeah, I'd love to have you join the lab. And oh, yeah, it was great. I like, but I'm so sorry that that wasn't um, okay. a universal experience. Do you want to explain really quick too? I'm curious to see if this they keep it this way, but currently we get six weeks off in between first year and second year. And there is the option of doing a very focused, dedicated research time, um, which it sounds like is what you did. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Do you want to like kind of speak to what that looked like over the past six weeks? So I think overall for the MSA, it's four weeks and they expect you to put in about 25 hours of work on that project per week. So that can look different if you're doing basic science research versus you know, looking at chart review or trying to do literature review types of things. And then at the end of the six weeks, are you required to do like a poster presentation and be published or anything like that? 
ideally what they recommend is that you'd have an abstract that you can start submitting to conferences you don't have to of course because the projects are so varied in nature mm-hmm. uh, and you do have to do like a presentation in front of your peers it's just a work in progress presentation i think the point was really to get you to practice your spiel which is important and i'm glad that they do that it is good practice and it's i don't think it's graded like it's a completion thing so very low stakes yeah, and I feel like that kind of thing is good practice, especially if you've never spoken at a conference before. That can be very daunting. One thing I will say, too, that I don't particularly love with how this program is structured is that, and I don't know how they do it at other med, other med schools where you have, like, a three-month vacation between your first and your second year, but if you don't like, if you rely on your loans for funding for that six-week period, the only way to get that extra month of living expenses is to enroll in the MSA. So I don't think that's like an institution problem. I think that's in like federal level, like Department of Education student loan disbursement problem where you can't be disbursing loans to a student that's not actively enrolled in something. Uh, So it does kind of make it so that the students who don't have that backup cash, don't have parents helping, you know, that sort of thing, don't have too much of a choice in terms of what they do with that four week block over the summer. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay, so that's definitely a factor to consider when like deciding how you're going to spend your six weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. We can um, kind of move on then to talking about general MS1 experience. What was great? What was the worst? What do you wish you had known? Gosh, general MS1 things. With regards to the docs curriculum, and specifically your traverse weeks where you have those standardized patient encounters, that are, you know, on video that get graded. Actually, sorry to interrupt you really quick, but um, that's actually something that didn't come up before. Do you mind taking a minute to kind of explain that, what that looks like and what docs is and what the standardized patients are? Because that's, I think, is a really cool thing that CU does. Great way to practice patient interactions. Yeah. So our standardized patients are essentially people out in the real world that are trained and they're paid. This is their job to act as patients um, in order for students to practice both their interviewing um, techniques and their physical exam skills. And so having the ability to go in and like play doctor was, I think, really important to me figuring out how I like to explain things, how I like to do draping, in what order I prefer to do different exam skills. You'll get to go in and see them, I think it's once or twice per like organ system block, depending on what the block is, to practice those new skills. So for example, during cardio and pulmonary, we would go in and standardized patient is essentially teaching you how to listen to breath sounds, how to do percussion, which is the, the tapping and all that good stuff. And that's just so much better than if we were given like a couple of YouTube videos and said, okay, go ahead, practice with your peers. Like we'll see you on exam week because I can't imagine that going well, especially with the standards that they expect us to be able to format. This is another cool aspect of it is we actually get tested during these VISTA weeks that Pauline mentioned. And a VISTA week they changed the name. Um, so I'm going to just kind of explain for a minute too, just in case the name changes again. But this VISTA week is essentially a week that deviates from the normal course organ block schedule. And it usually happens every couple of organ blocks um, where it gets thrown in between. And it's essentially a week where you might have an anatomy lab exam, you might have a docs clinical skills exam, and maybe a few like random sessions. 
Otherwise, it's a kind of a low-key week, which is nice because it kind of gives you a break, a little chance to breathe before you hit your next block. And the Doc's clinical skills exams are cool because you literally line this hallway. Front. It's almost like Hunger Games-esque where you're like standing in front of this door and on the other side is like a mock clinic room. And there's an actor that the school has paid to play the patient. This patient is told to have a certain script and symptoms and complaints and all these things. And when the buzzer goes off, you walk into the room and you have 30 minutes to play doctor essentially and introduce yourself, interview the patient, examine them, gather all the information you think you need and check all the boxes in terms of the exam skills that you're supposed to have. And there are video cameras in the room and they record the entire interaction. And then a doctor goes through and actually grades you on how well you did in terms of, you know, achieving the objectives for the exercise. It's really cool because that way, when you go into second year, when you're interacting with actual patients, you don't react inappropriately when you have a very real patient who starts screaming at you or crying or doesn't give you all the information you need, or is really hard to redirect because they are tangential and all over the place. So it's really awesome to practice those skills and they're very applicable. You get to know the SPs really well and very grateful for them and their devotion to our medical education. I would also say too, um, which this is really, really cool, but there are specifically trained SPs to learn sensitive exams, including like genital exams. And that is just incredible. And we are so lucky to have that because we should really never be learning for the first time, especially such a sensitive exam on a patient, because it's just, it can set you up to make all kinds of mistakes that could potentially be traumatic for somebody. And so to do that in a safe space where somebody is walking you through it the entire time, and they're going to teach you how to never do that again, if you do mess up, is just so powerful. And I just, yeah, very grateful for that. Yeah, that part's huge. The first time that you have to like tell a patient to drape and move their breast tissue a certain way and you kind of struggle to verbalize how to do that and you're just so worried and it's okay to feel that discomfort. And then same thing goes for like learning to interview. You're going to say things that will come out sounding just backwards. And that's why we have what's called a pause during those sessions where like you and your docs coach get to kind of troubleshoot what you said, what you meant to say, how to say it better. So just lean into the discomfort instead of letting your ego kind of push back and get you defensive and shut down type of thing, because you're not going to grow that way. You bring up a great point that um, a lot of truly appropriate medical language is not the natural way we phrase things outside of the medical world. But it's important that it's different in that way because, again, it's it's more like trauma sensitive and those words matter, but um, it can be very difficult at first. And I even struggle with it sometimes. They intentionally made this a part of the curriculum so that we would have a safe space to mess up because we're med students and we're supposed to mess up. So people refer to docs a lot at CU. Developing our clinical skills. That's kind of what it refers to. Every week you work with a small group of classmates. It's usually around like 10 to 15 maybe. And you have one physician who works with you all year long and helps guide you through this process. And then they bring in the SPEDAs um, or the standardized patients every once in a while too so that you can practice on them, the skills that you've been learning with the physician. Um, So it's really cool. It's very clinically guided learning. Dealer's choice. What would you like to talk about next? Oh, study tips. Great. Take it away. 
Oh, gosh. So I like to know that I can get my information from like several quality sources. And so in foundational principles, didn't know what all those resources were. So I had never heard of like osmosis, for example, or RX bricks, which is an absolute lifesaver. And I made all of my own Anki cards because I used Anki actually to study for the MCAT. And I knew that worked really beautifully for me. And there's a giant Anki deck from medical school that's called Anking. But I ended up getting Osmosis, RX Bricks, and Amboss in like the same like month-long period because I was like, okay, I'm drowning. So I ended up with three different platforms. Like Osmosis is a video-based one with cute little drawings, which I really love. I'm a big video learner. Heme and Lymph, I kind of muscled my way through with a lot of Osmosis videos. And um, then we hit GI and the turnaround between Heme and Lymph and GI where you don't have that traverse week between those two blocks kind of hits you hard. Where you just get done with this big exam and you have to turn around and start studying because your next month in four weeks, you don't get to stop. So what really worked for me during GI, I figured out, is taking all the class material and making a lot of charts. Because you're going to get handed a lot of diseases, a lot of antibiotics, a lot of bugs. And that's really what helped me keep track of everything. We have like faculty that will give you advice for studying and, you know, their advice is based on what the research shows, what they've seen with students over the years. And if they're giving you advice and you're finding that it's not working for you, I hope if you're listening to this episode that there comes a point sooner than not that you just kind of have the ability to pull back and say, you know what, I actually found that this worked better for me, even though it was not recommended. So I'm going to go back to that. Nice. I love that. That's a great way to finish. Thank you so much. It was so nice to chat with you. I am here with Rebecca, and you go by Becca, correct? Either works, but yeah. Okay. Um, Well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, how you found your way to CU Med School, what your kind of career interests are, um, and anything else you want to share. Yeah, um, so I'm originally from Long Island, New York, and I went to school in Boston. I was actually a finance major, and I think I'm the only business major that I've met in CU so far. Um, and I was a senior in college, and I just really didn't like my summer finance internship, and my mom ended up fainting, and we went to the hospital, and I was in the ED, and then I was like, oh, this is actually super cool. And so then I kind of started down the whole pre-med track my senior year of college throughout COVID. So I took two grad years and I always wanted to live in Colorado. I love the outdoors. And so this was like my top choice school. Uh, a lot of people, when they like apply to medical school, they're like, where, where do you want to go? And you're like, I'll go anywhere. But then this was actually like the, my top choice. So I'm so grateful like every day to be here. I want to, oh, I have an MPH that I got last year during my gap year. And I want to do something with public health, for sure, at some point in my career. And obviously, it's really early. But right now, I'm thinking about going into either family medicine or emergency medicine. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I have not heard of somebody. I mean, people come from all different careers and everything um, into medical school. But I've actually not heard of a finance major with that quick of a turnaround going to med school. That's pretty impressive because I imagine you had a lot of courses to catch up on. Yeah, definitely. Um, COVID definitely helped because I could take a lot of stuff online. Nice. But yeah, it was like two years where I took every prereq and studied for the MCAT. Oh my gosh. And got your MPH. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that's impressive. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think talking about studying is a great place to start because you are clearly very experienced in the realm of studying. I actually would very much disagree. Um, when I was in college, I didn't do any science classes at all. So I mostly did like group projects and things like that. So yeah. I really have no, I had no experience studying science at all. And I felt like that put me in a big disadvantage at the beginning of the year because not only did I feel like I had to learn to study for medical school specifically, but I had to learn to study, period. Mm. Um, so I think there was a huge learning curve for me of like spending late nights at the library and taking these kinds of multiple choice tests and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a good point, too, that like not all med schools are like this, um, but CU, all of their testing is very similar to board exam style, which is awesome because I think it prepares you really well for um, step one and step two and, and shelf exams and that kind of thing. But everything is multiple choice. Yeah, definitely. So definitely a lot of trial and error at the beginning. Why don't you speak to like what worked for you, how you dealt with this limbo period of figuring out how to be successful? I think definitely at the beginning of the year, I thought that I would have exactly how my study technique would work and like have everything figured out by July. But like I was still trying new things the entire year. I think just like asking around and seeing what other people are doing, but at the end of the day, knowing you know yourself best and just following what you know works for you is way more important than what everyone else is doing. Yeah, absolutely. The flexibility is really hard, especially not just because you're still figuring out what works best for you, but it kind of changes with every block depending on who the course director is and how the block is taught. So it can feel very unsettling. I mean, you really do get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah, I thought that was so hard about last year. Like you could never, even once I feel like I settled into a pattern during a longer five or six week block, I felt like I had to completely change my study techniques for the next, like for the following block. Once the course directors, you could tell that they were emphasizing different things. So, um, is there anything you would wish you had known going in? Really, don't compare yourself to others. It's like so so hard because all you do is spend your time with that students, and everyone just talks about how many cards they're doing and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you're gonna be fine, and you're gonna make sure you're fine. You got here, so you're gonna make it out, and yeah. Good. I like that. That's really good advice. Um, and you mentioned cards. You mean like Anki cards? Yeah, cards. Are, I, there's a big divide, I think, between in-class slide people and like third-party resource people and just like letting everyone do what they feel like they should. Yeah. Not making comments on anything. Yeah. No, totally. How, um, how did you find support during med school or during MS1? made a bunch of amazing friends. I got really, really lucky and found really supportive friend group. So mostly I just took my time to spend time with them on the weekend doing things that I really like to do, like hike and ski. I definitely made time for that, but I definitely prioritized that over like studying a little bit extra just because I knew that it was more important to me to take that time for myself and recharge over the weekend than it was to um, you know get up two points higher on an exam. That's mm -hmm. a pass-fail anyway. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, I had somebody say this once, but it's kind of stuck with me and it really helped me mentally was uh, she said that if it were humanly possible to study 24-7 and not sleep and not eat and not be a human being, even then you would never learn everything. And oh, yeah. that sure. kind of idea of like you have been set up for an impossible task 
was so kind of freeing for me mentally and knowing that, you know, I think a lot of the time in high school and in college, like I, I knew that I was done studying when I had mastered X amount of the material or when I like felt comfortable with majority of the material. And I just never, you're, if you're waiting for that feeling in med school, it's never going to come. Um, and it always feels like you're cramming for the last second, even though you've been cramming since the second you got out of lecture. And it just can be so unsatisfying that way. But I think that you bring up a great point. It's a game of balance. And when you know you've studied enough or you feel like you, you know it well enough, you let yourself off the hook. And I think that's so important for maintaining sanity and stamina going forward. We know that people burnout is a huge problem across medicine. I talked about this with, I believe it was Melanie, that I love CU's curriculum design um, where they have weekly quizzes on Fridays um, or end of week tests. And then at the end of a course, the end of course exam falls also on a Friday. So it just really frees up your weekends and makes you feel like you've earned that time off, which is so important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, WU's, I just remember at the beginning of the year, we were so stressed about getting good grades on that. And at the end, like, there were some weeks I just fully took off because I knew I needed that week, like, to refresh, um, especially when we didn't have a traverse week in between. So I just, I bossed that week to UW, and it truly did not matter. It did not reflect my end of course score at all, and everything ended up fine in the end. I like that you mentioned that there are going to be some days where you are all out like sprinting and then other days where you're just doggy paddling and then some days where you are just floating and that sometimes, you know, you know you best and taking the breaks when you need them. Luckily for us, CU's curriculum kind of allows for that, which I think is so awesome and really promotes kind of this um, taking care of yourself mentality. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a couple of friends from home visit some weeks and those weeks I just myself I wanted to prioritize being with them than getting a good end of week score and as long as you make those trades with yourself like you can make it up later and like that I really appreciated that flexibility yes absolutely you mentioned that CU was your top choice for medical school can you speak more to that and like how it's lived up to the ways that you admired about it and other ways in which maybe there are things you didn't expect to like and you love or things that you don't like so much yeah, being in Colorado has lived up to my expectations. I was able to hike and see so much this year, and I don't know how people who go to medical school elsewhere be stressed, I guess, in between tests, as that was my main coping mechanism on the weekend. I also do really appreciate the one-year curriculum. I'm starting LIC next week, and I would hate to have to go back to a classroom right now. We'll see how the one-year curriculum goes, but as of right now, I'm kind of grateful that we like left Dr. Creepin once already. And I guess in terms of how I didn't expect things to work, um, I'm not really an in-person learner. Like just everybody learns differently. And I saw so many of my peers saying I need to go to class or else I learn the material, but that's just not how my brain works. So the attendance policy of having to go to most lectures is really hard for me. Yeah. But you learn to work your way around it. And I think they are changing it for this year. So they do listen to our feedback on that. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Because yeah, our class was very much not a fan of that. And for reasons you pointed out, obviously, you know, it can be as simple as just some people don't 
learn as well in a classroom environment, especially not eight hours of lecture straight on a Monday. Plenty of people aren't going to get a lot out of that. But we even had people in our class who English wasn't their first language. And so they would be sitting in class with headphones in, listening to the lectures from the day before on half speed, just trying to catch up. But they physically had to be in that lecture because of the attendance policy. So I agree. I think that that has been a very sore subject for a lot of people at CU. And you're right, there are ways around it. Like I said, like some people just sat there and physically were present, but had headphones in and were trying to study their own way. And I'm glad to hear because I think our class was very frustrated that it wasn't changed for your class because we gave a lot, a lot of um, negative feedback about that. But I'm really glad to hear, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. And we understand that. So I'm glad that your class was able to be the final nail in the coffin um, for the attendance policy, let's hope. Yeah, definitely. Still, I'm sure they're going to continue to refine because this upcoming year is only like the third year, but uh, I'm happy to hear that we don't have to, they don't have to go to as many classes and we don't have to do as many LIC assignments. Thanks to you guys. Oh, good. I'm really glad to hear that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And as a plug to CU, given that this is a brand new curriculum, they ask for a lot of feedback and they have received a lot of feedback um, from our class and your class, too, I'm sure. And at least for ours, it was really frustrating in the beginning to be told, like, thank you so much. We'll change it for next year. And, you know, that that sucks because we're the that means that we don't get to reap the benefits of um, the hard work that we put in giving the feedback. But I will say during our clinical year, we did talk a lot about like some of the assignments just weren't worth our time. And they adjusted that in real time, which was really cool to see. Um, So halfway through the year, they got rid of a significant chunk of assignments, which was awesome because I think that's really hard to do um, that quickly. So I'm glad to hear that they may ha- that they're going to keep that, and um, hopefully you guys will have a um, even better curriculum from the from day one. And in terms of just like how I would structure my week, I guess yeah. I like to watch the third party resources before the in class lectures, just because I think it's a better summary. It focuses on the high yield. Sorry to interrupt you, but can you really quick elaborate on which third-party resources specifically you found helpful? Yeah, I definitely did not get a lot of things the first time. I don't have a science background, so a lot of the things that were maybe a little bit more bio or chem-based, I had a really hard time with. And so I needed to watch things a few times. So usually I would start with Sports and Beyond, and I had a year free of med school boot camp, which is a newer resource. Um, They were offering it because they just started. I would watch both of those usually and I would do words and beyond first and then I'd watch the in-class lectures and then for some harder topics or right before the EOC or something I would re-watch older videos of like med school boot camp. Yeah I'd never heard of med school boot camp. That's really cool. You liked it a lot? I loved it. Uh, words and beyond I just had videos. I didn't have the actual product but med school boot camp has little questions after each video and their platform is just easier to use, and it's a little bit more updated. So that's what I liked about it. Cool. And I love what you mentioned, too, about preloading and priming your brain leading up to um, a week of lectures, because I think that's something I tried to do, but didn't feel like I had a very organized way of doing it and didn't always have like what I felt were the most comprehensive resources to do that. When the pre-work was really good, that's, you know, the entire 
point of the pre-work. And so I like that you uh, mentioned that you would use third-party resources to do that because I think it can be overwhelming sometimes that all the different options out there, like there's more than beyond and osmosis and Amboss and Onking and a million other probably resources online. It, yeah, it can be super overwhelming. Yeah, I think I have such a hard time just committing to one resource, especially because everyone was doing all these different things, at least for one block, just sticking to one strategy and seeing how that works for you and not trying to try a bunch of different things within blocks. Because you have 10 blocks, you have time to try different things out. On can use like the high yield topic, but I have such a love-hate relationship with it. Um, I didn't really start using it towards the end of the year because I just found it so painful to work my way through cards. But I got a remote, $20. And I just like committed to it and that made it way easier. I know that that's such a ridiculous barrier to entry, but <laughs> I would go on the treadmill desk at the library or like lay in bed. And I feel like it really helped me get through cards more. Um, and just like setting reasonable goals for yourself. Like, I'm only going to do this many cards. And then knowing you can actually finish those rather than just like trying to do a million cards a day. Um, I also felt that the people who did the best used cards that were made from lecture slides versus Onking. But we took the MDME exam at the end of the year, and I don't think that people who did well on in-class tests necessarily correlated to higher MDME scores, just because the content was like phrased a little bit differently. I think there's pros and cons to both ways of doing it. And if you just do on-king, you'll pass, which is all that matters, Yeah. whatever your personal preference is. From what I've heard, CU's curriculum teaches more to the tests, the board exams, than others. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, their end of course exams are not meant to be perfect models for step one. And so it is kind of a game of step one's pass fail, but so is are these courses. And so which one would you rather like focus most of your energy on and your studying on? And it can be so frustrating to get questions wrong because you're always going to get questions wrong no matter how much you study. Um, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, if you can be proud of what you do know and how you studied and find value in that and know that like no matter how you do it you're going to carry that information forward with you in a productive way you know any amount of information is good if you're okay with like missing a few questions because you didn't study class slides but you were busy preparing for the test that's coming down the pike then I think that's you know that's a different way to go about it and not necessarily a better or worse way to do it. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I tried everything. So I tried making my own cards from lecture slides. And I personally didn't feel like that helped me. But there were lots of other people in my class who did make their own lecture cards and that helped them study. So you have friends who like to do that. I got on like their email list essentially for their weekly Anki card. And that really helped me. And that's another thing I love about you. I can to some of my friends who go to other medical schools. And they say that people in their class are very hesitant to share resources. And on interview day, everybody says, oh, everyone's so friendly and, like, we'll help you. But at this school, I really feel like it's a very non-competitive environment. And we can all succeed together. And everybody was very willing to send different resources and help out whenever any of us needed anything. I'm so glad to hear that. I couldn't agree more. I was told that on like day one from the deans in our orientation. I was told that on interview day. I was told that by upperclassmen. I experienced it myself. And then I watched everyone around me say the exact same thing. And I've yet to hear somebody say that that isn't true, which is just the coolest 
the coolest environment to be a part of. I think it uh, speaks a lot to the kind of people that CU hires and the kind of students that they attract. I think it makes us all a lot better at what we do. Anything else before we um, switch topics a little bit? I don't know I don't know if you want me to talk about that, but I feel like a lot of people don't talk about that. Yes. By mentioning it. I would love, and while you're admitting to it, I failed the test. My roommate failed the test. Everyone I know failed a test at one point or another. So I um, appreciate you talking about that because I think, you know, I spoke earlier with Melanie actually about imposter syndrome a little bit and how people just aren't good about talking, which makes sense. No one wants to talk about their failures, but they're very recoverable. And I think being vulnerable is a powerful thing. So yes, if you would would like to talk about that and your experience and what it was like to retake and that kind of thing, um, I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, actually, my uh, UOW scores, I remember calling my mom on the phone the day before the test. I was like, I've never felt so prepared for a test before. Like, I don't know, I just felt so good about it. And then I think that's part of why I got so freaked out. I just didn't get a new, good night's sleep because I was stressed. And then I think I just got in my head, missed a couple too many questions. The lights started flickering on and off during the test. I was very distracting. Just a bunch of different little things played into it. And ultimately, I missed my two questions, which was very frustrating. And it was right before Traverse Week. So all my friends went to see mode and went skiing, and I had to stay and study, which was terrible. Such a bad experience, and I think it really like stressed me out for the rest of the year, worrying that that was going to happen to me again. There were ultimately zero repercussions. Like even though it affected me a lot mentally and like personally, academically it had no influence at all. I just took it again the next week, no problem. And I think that like none of my friends had failed the test, so I felt really bad about myself. But, I mean, at the end of the year, I think they said that, like, over half the class failed one thing. So it's much more common than people talk about. The school really, like, tried to follow up on what happened and how it won't happen again. And my cousin, this guy tried to be really supportive. And, yeah, overall, like, it happens. And you're going to fail in your career also. So it's not the end of the world, even though for a lot of us, like, taking tests feels like the entire world. It's really not that big of a deal on the big spectrum of things. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you saying too that like you failed by two points. And while that is the most frustrating thing, two things. One, how often did your test score differ from a classmate's or a friend's by two points? So often. The difference between you passing and you failing being two points is so negligible. It has nothing to do with you being lesser or less prepared or equipped to be a doctor than any of your friends or your fellow classmates. But you bring up a great point that we all got here because we were the type A kids our whole lives, or at least in the recent past few years, where we didn't fail tests and we we never failed anything. Being here in med school should be hard. It should every once in a while cause you to stumble. This idea of failure and embracing it as part of the learning process is so important and yet really hard to do. And I don't think people realize the passing threshold is actually so hard in med school that it's not shameful to not hit that mark. I appreciate you sharing that because it's a hard pill to swallow. But I think the earlier in your career that you forgive yourself for failing, especially when you're out there trying as hard as you are, you are so much better for that. Because you're right, you are going to fail 
multiple points during your career. And it's a lot better to know how to face that when the stakes are as low as they are as a first year medical student and know how to face that with like grace and just being gentle with yourself and learning how to like turn it around and keep trudging forward. I'm really glad you brought yeah. that up. Yeah. And I watch people either not pass or have to delay tests or other things just because other life things were happening uh, with their family, people were getting sick or all types of issues in life. And at the end of the day, this is not a life or death situation. It, that's why the stakes are so low. Like, it's just not for this reason. I think it's really cool that medicine is moving towards a recognition that people are more than their degree and more than the job they signed up for and that when life happens you you can be a person and you can take care of yourself too I think that's awesome that it starts as early as med school anything in general that you wish you knew going into first year and you'd like to impart on the incoming first years you are ultimately in control of your schedule which is so nice and you probably won't have that opportunity again so whatever you choose to prioritize you can make happen I like worked out most days I took one day off a week pretty much on the weekends except for before tests. Even then, towards the end of the year when I was getting burnt out, I knew that I had to take one day off before a test, so I did, and everything ended up fine. It can feel like a bubble, so getting out of that bubble sometimes and like seeing other normal people, which is hard because I'm an out-of-state student, so I don't have other friends really in this state. Uh, if you can either like talk to your home friends on the phone and realize that med school is not your whole life, it's really important and will make you realize that like, there are other things in this world and you will be doing other things after this year. That's a great way to finish. Um, thank you so much, Becca. It was so nice to chat with you and I'm so glad the first years got to hear your perspective. Thanks for joining us for this episode of In the Vein. We'd like to thank our interviewees for helping make this podcast possible. If you have ideas for an episode or have a suggestion for how to make our show better, please reach out to us at inthevainpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.